0: Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 says this to us, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. Lord, we pray for your blessing on your word as we look at it today. May it change our lives. May it make us better. May it be something that we can share with others this coming week. For your sake, we pray. Amen. All right, verse 21 There are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. Here is a passage of Scripture that stands by itself. It has so much commentary in the rest of the Bible, but this is a very perfect, perfect passage of Scripture to remind us that God is sovereignly in control of this universe in which we live. Now notice what it says, Psalms, Proverbs are often a comparison, a contrast, and this is no different. It says, first of all, there are many plans in a man's heart, so the contrast is going to be the heart of man, a man's heart, compared to the Lord's heart, if you may put it that way. And so the comparison is going to be a man's heart with the Lord's, and the plans that men come up with. The plans that we come up with compared to the plans that the Lord comes up with. And so the Bible says there are many plans in a man's heart and there are counsels and purposes in the Lord's heart. That's the point of the passage of Scripture. But notice it doesn't give us a final conclusion on man's heart. We have to look at the compa- the comparison to find out what that is. But we do have the conclusion as far as the Lord's heart is concerned, His counsels, His plans, His purposes. The Bible says that the Lord's counsel will stand. Now, there's an implication in this passage of Scripture that you and I don't want to miss, and that implication is that these are not stand-alone plans and purposes, It's not like you and I can live our lives and totally make plans independent of God. We can't do it. We can't do it. All of our plans and all of our purposes are related to God's plans and purposes. They should all be taken together. And the conclusion that we should reach from this passage of Scripture is that if we make plans and those plans go against the Lord's plans then guess what? God will override your plans so that His plans will stand. That's the implication of that passage of Scripture. Now, in my King James, New King James Version translation, the word nevertheless is used in verse 21. There are many plans in man's heart, nevertheless... In other words, what I'm about to say is never the less of what I just said. Okay? Uh, Sometimes we use words and we use them so frequently and so often that we really don't know what they mean. But this is definitely a contrast. This is definitely a uh, notwithstanding kind of a thing. It's almost like a surprise. Other translations use the word but. But is another contrast word. There are many plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's counsel, it will stand. So keep that in mind. And I I would ask this question right off the bat. Whether or not your plans and my plans stand will depend upon God's plans. So just, just keep that in mind, all right? Keep that in mind. And and a good way to do this would be this way. If you're in chapter 19, go back to chapter 16 for just a second. Chapter 16 has several verses that describe the concept that I'm sharing with you this morning. But I want you to look at verse 9 specifically. In verse 9 of chapter 16, it says, A man's heart plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. If your plans are in line with God's plans, guess what? The Lord will direct your steps. It's like someone who said to me many, many years ago, if the Lord orders something, he's going to pay for it. Uh, it was, a, it was a, someone who wanted to go to a Christian college and, and uh, didn't have the money to go to Christian college. And someone said, listen, if the Lord wants you at Christian college then uh, he's going to pay for it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. If your plans line up with the Lord's plan. Now, let's take a look at our plans for just a moment. Our plans are sometimes, um, uh, they don't fail. Maybe they will, maybe they'll be okay, and maybe they won't. But God's plans will always prevail. I always add that every time we talk about man's plans. God's plans will always Always happen. Um, Someone once said that life is what happens to you while you're busy planning more important things. And in the process, life happens. Um, Think of the many times that you had to change your plans. How many have ever had to change their plans? Oh, man. Um, We've changed our plans many, many times. And sometimes we have to resort to plan B. Or plan C. God doesn't say that he ever resorts to plan B. All right? But that's the difference between God and, uh, and uh, God's plans and our plans. Uh, another way to look at this would be uh, how many of you are still waiting for your ship to come in? <laughs> now think of that. Think of that. And how many of you have been waiting for a long, 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 long time and there's just nothing on the horizon yet? You see, um, it's kind of like the husband and wife, um, they're budgeting, they're, they're budgeting their money and, um, and the husband says to the wife, let's start with the basic necessities of food, clothing, and shelter. We have a choice of any two. See? Now I'm sharing those because I want you to sit back and I want you to think of all the plans that we make in our lives and how often do those plans have to be changed. You may say, well you know most of my plans work out. I doubt that most of your plans work out. If I had a nickel for every person who has regretted their decisions, you ever regret a decision? How many are willing to say, I regretted a decision? I've regretted many decisions. But if I had a nickel for every person who has said to me, I regret a decision that I've made in the past, I would be wealthy based on that one thing alone. I can remember sitting in a vehicle and riding out in the country and the the person sitting next to me said, do you see that farm over there? I said, yeah. She said, well, I, I regret that I never had a chance. to. I never, never, never bought it when I had the chance to buy it. I remember talking to a man who said I had two jobs. When I graduated from, from, from high school, I had two opportunities to work for two companies. And I chose one company over the other, and I regret that decision to this day. You and I live with lots of regrets because our plans don't work out the way we want them to work out. And part of the reason why they don't work out the way that we want them to work out is because our reasoning ability and our rational thinking and our our wills are, are weak and we can't always think things through the way we should to come up with the right, right choices to make. Uh, And that's a very important thing to keep in mind. Um, It's kind of like the lady who went in to eat, and she sat down, and she had a wonderful meal. The food was very delicious, and the waitress was very, very friendly. And every time the waitress would come to the table, though, she would grumble, and she'd complain, and she wasn't enjoying any of it. And so after the nice meal was over, the waitress said to her, she said, well, listen, have a, have a nice day. And she said to her, snapped back at her and said, uh, I'm sorry, but I have other plans. And there's nothing rational about that at all, is there? There's nothing rational about that at all, but that's the way our, our, um, our thinking goes. Um, sometimes we just just don't, we, we, here, think of this, okay, there's two prisoners, now, once again, I'm just trying to get you to see, I'm trying to get you to relate to some of the ways we make plans that just cannot possibly work out for us, there were two prisoners, they were shackled to the wall of a deep dark dungeon, now, they're not even on the floor, they're shackled to the wall several feet above the floor, and they've got them spread out like this, and their hands are in shackles, and their feet are in shackles, and, and, um, and they're, they're, there's only one small window, and it's, it, it's a, like 40 feet high up above their heads, and they're totally immobile. They're totally alone. They're po- totally pinned to the wall, and one prisoner turns to the other and whispers, here's my plan think about that. But that's the way our plans work, you see. The thing that you and I should get from this passage of scripture before we go any further should simply be that God is letting us know that he will override our plans if necessary. We have many of them, but nevertheless, when we put them all together with God's plans, ours may fail, but his will stand. Now, let me give you a couple of quick illustrations. Now, I'm turning to Genesis chapter 37, verse 19. You probably know the story very, very well. This is Joseph who was hated by his brothers because daddy treated him a little bit better than he treated the rest of them. And so they are out there tending their flocks, And daddy says to Joseph, who's at home, go and see how your brothers are doing. When he goes out to see how the brothers are doing, the Bible says in 37, chapter 37 of Genesis, verse 19 and following, that when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. So his brothers want to get rid of him. Dad's not around. They're out there in the wilderness. They can pull this off, they think. Fortunately, Reuben talks him out of it. They cast him into a pit. He is sold into slavery into Egypt. And about 20 years later, his, his brothers are standing in front of him because there's a famine in the land of Israel. And they have come down to Egypt to buy grain. And I want you to see what, jo- what Joseph says to his brothers in chapter 45. Chapter 45. Of uh, Genesis. This is very, very interesting. Joseph finally warmed up to his brothers. He had kind of been jerking their chains, so to speak, for a while, called them spies, but he can't help himself now. He wants to reunite with them, he wants to make amends, he wants to forget the past. And so when Joseph could not restrain himself, when he is there in the presence of his brothers, he tells everybody to go out of the room. Now, you know Joseph is the head of the grain supply in Egypt at this time. He's in the palace. He's invited the brothers to come and, and eat with him in the palace. And so he goes, he, he, goes, he calls everybody, he says, let everybody go out of the room. And, and, and he wept loudly in verse 2. And he said to his brothers in verse 3, I'm Joseph. Is Dad still alive. And his brothers didn't know what to say. They couldn't believe that Joseph is standing in front of them, the one they've hated all these years. And Joseph says, come near to me. So they came near to him in verse 4. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And then he says this amazing thing in verse 5. He says, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You sold me here. But listen, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Your plan was to sell me into slavery. God's plan was to send me here to preserve life. And then he repeats himself. He talks about the famine. And then he says in verse 8 as a conclusion. He says, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. And Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all of the land of Egypt. There's a great example of how man's plans may fail. But God's plans stand. And uh, if we were to go through this whole story of Joseph, we would come to the very end in Genesis chapter 50. And I'd like to make a conclusion for you as a first application. When Joseph's dad died, and all of the brothers were thinking about the fact that dad was such a, uh, a stable force in the family and a peacemaker. They thought that after Dad died, Joseph was now going to get even with them for what they did to him. And so they come to talk to Joseph about that, to try to talk him out of that. But you know what Joseph said to them in chapter 50, verse 19? In chapter 50, verse 19, this is many years now later. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. That's an excellent example. And we could go through the Old Testament and we could look at example after example. One of my favorite examples is Psalm 2 where the Bible talks about nations. We live in a day and age when we need to pay attention to nations and the attempts that nations make to control this world in which we live, to control the economies of nations, to control the the territory of nations, uh, to control, to to, to to influence as much of the world as they can, to take the upper hand, to be the one in power. And in, in Psalm chapter 2, the Bible says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Why do they make all these plans? As if their plans are always going to work out. And God says, listen, they're making plans and they're taking counsel together. And these plans are against the Lord. They're against me. Their plans to break their bonds in pieces as they think it is and cast away their cords from us. That's the way they're describing the bondage they feel they're in. Because they're accountable to a, a father, a heavenly father or a God Who created this universe? And then God says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, hold them in derision, and distress them in their deep displeasure. Why? Because the plans of man and nations will fail, but the plans of God will stand and prevail. In Psalm 33, We have an example of that as far as nations go. Now, I want to read this to you. I have several passages. I don't really do a lot of this. But I want to read these passages to you. Uh, You you can look at them if you want to. Write them down maybe and read them later. But look at verses 10, 11, and 12 of Psalm 33. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to what? Nothing. Nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of what? No effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. And then verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people He has chosen as His own inheritance. If I were to look at this passage of Scripture and I were to uh, apply it to Hmm. To our nation today, I would say that the important thing for us to recognize as a nation is that we're only protected, our plans are only going to be successful, things are only going to work out for us if we make sure that our plans are in, what can I say, in conjunction with? in sync with, line up with, God's plans. See, And so the application that I would give to you is that we need to make sure that we take the Lord's plans into consideration and let his word discipline our desires. To do whatever we want to do. Now that, that's the application I came up with. Make sure that our plans line up with the Lord's plans. And make sure that God's word disciplines our desires to do whatever we want. And if we do that, we can succeed. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 21... Two chapters after the Proverb that we just read today. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21. The Bible talks about plans once again. There's several references in here. And in chapter 1 verse 30. What does it say? Everybody together. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. We can fight against it. We can do whatever we want. We can say, I think I'm right in my own eyes. And you know, God will. God will allow us to focus on our own plans and purposes for a period of time. He will allow us. He'll allow nations to focus on their own plans and purposes for a while. But it's only a temporary thing. And, um, and so it's important for you and I to understand, and if you're in Psalm, uh, Psalm, uh, Proverbs chapter 21, flip back to Proverbs chapter 16, and I'll give you one more, one more that goes in line with what we're reading in chapter 19. In chapter 16, where we have so many references to God's plans and our plans, notice what it says in chapter 16, verse 3. What does it say? Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will succeed. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Now, I realize that we can argue with that all we want and we can talk about uh, problems that we have, knowing God's will and our will and how to mesh those two together and uh, But the important thing is, if, if, I were to give you, if I were to give you a good psalm commentary on that, it would be the one in Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. The best way for you and I to have our plans work out in our lives, the best way is for us to delight in the Lord, commit our way to the Lord, Trust in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Now, I didn't give you the reference, but it's Psalm 37, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Take it home, look at it, read it. Delight in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He'll bring it to pass. It's the best way to get your plans to work out. It's the best way. Now, what does this look like for us in this day and age in which we live? I, I just want to give you three quick illustrations. The first illustration is what does this look like as far as the church is concerned? Well, in Acts chapter 2, and I'll, I'll make reference to this. You do not have to turn to these passages of Scripture. But in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us that the that Peter gives a sermon On the day of Pentecost. And when Peter gives the sermon on the day of Pentecost. He says that men of Israel. I want you to know that Jesus was crucified and put to death. You have taken by lawless hands. And have crucified Jesus and put him to death. But right before he says that. He says him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and crucified. Now let that sink in for just a moment, because in chapter 4, we have the very same thing. John, Peter, and John are arrested. They are released, and they have this to say about that event of the crucifixion of Christ. In verse 27 of chapter 4, I want you to know, Luke says this in his history of the early church. He says, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together to crucify him, to put him to death like a common criminal, to get rid of him. And notice what, they, notice what Luke says in verse 28. They did it to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Their plans didn't work out the way they wanted them to work out. Jesus is alive. He's resurrected from the grave. He's coming back. Because your plans overrode their plans. And when our plans are in conflict with the Lord, guess who's going to win out every time? And I wish, I wish I could go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and just pull out all of these passages of Scripture that talk about God's plans and the fact that He is always going to win and you and I are always going to lose when there is a discrepancy or a conflict between those plans. Later on in in Acts chapter 5, just to mention this to you, in Acts chapter 5, the Bible tells us that the the apostles are on trial again, and Gamaliel, that that, uh, Jewish leader in Israel, very famous not only from the Bible, but also from secular history, Gamaliel comes to the apostles' rescue, and Gamaliel says about them when they're under trial, he says, listen, He says that this plan or this work is of men. It's going to come to nothing. He says, but if it is of God, you can't overthrow it. There's no way you can overthrow it. Lest you even be found to fight against God. Gamaliel said that. A, A Jewish scholar who actually taught at the University of Jerusalem. Where Paul attended when he was younger. And then we could go through the book of Acts. And we could look at the references to God overriding I just want to just refer to one other quick one, so that you know that I'm not just pulling a couple of passages of Scripture out of the air. This is something that God tells us from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Uh, Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem. They're going to put him on trial. There are forty guys out there who said we're not going to eat anything and we're not going to we're not going to drink anything until we've killed the Apostle Paul. And they come up with this elaborate plan with the religious leaders to get Paul to come out where they can then attack him and kill him under false pretenses. But the problem is in verse 11 of Acts chapter 23, where we have this described to us, the Lord already spoke to Paul in verse 11 and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. I often wonder what happened to these 40 guys. Because they said they weren't going to eat anything until Paul was killed. <laughs> they weren't going to drink anything. I wonder if they made 40 graves for them there in Jerusalem several weeks after this happened. You know what I'm saying? Because the, mad, the plan of man fell. The plans of men fail, but the plans of God, what? They will prevail. Oh, we could go through. We could go, how does, what's the second quick illustration? The second quick illustration is merely James. I, I, I had to be very discriminate in what I chose for illustrations. But this is one that all of us understand very, very well. Here's the, here's the Apostle James talking about life in this world talking about our careers talking about our plans where we're going to live where we're going to where we're going to do business and all of that and in James chapter 14 verse 13 the Bible says come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city spend a year there buy and sell and make a profit Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time. And then vanishes away. And so James says. Instead you and I ought to say this instead. If the Lord wills. We shall live and do this or that. But we shouldn't be presumptuous. That our plans are always going to succeed. Or work out the way we want them to work out. Why? Because God's plans always stand and will prevail, and sometimes we don't even realize that our plans are diametrically opposed to what God's plans are for us. Now, as far as the church is concerned, the application for us is that if God's plans did not fail in relationship to Christ, I, I will tell you that our biggest responsibility as a church, our biggest responsibility as a church is to make sure that we get the gospel out. I don't care who tells us that Jesus was just a good teacher. I don't doesn't matter who tells us that he has a great influence. His death didn't do anything to save anybody from sin, or to cover sin, or to forgive sin. Or to pay the penalty for sin, it doesn't make any difference. The, the second world, religious, the second largest religious in the religion in the world, can say that. But God's plan and purpose is worked out through us in the church, through the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if the church does nothing else, we need to share the gospel. And not water it down. What does it mean for us personally? Well, James says it very, very well. And the Apostle Paul, let me simply say this. You could trace prayer in the New Testament. You could trace it to the point where almost every single time somebody prays, you have this statement. We want to pray in the Lord's will. And that's what leads us to pray today and ask for the Lord's will. Now it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that uh, we don't pray for things that we personally desire. You see? We do. We do, but we must understand that God has the final say. And if we ask what we want, and it's the Lord's will, according to First John chapter five and the book of Romans, Paul talks about it a lot then we can have what we want. Now, I finally want to say this about the third illustration, because, and the reason I pulled this in for the sermon today, is because all five chapters of 1 Peter are in the daily Bible reading this week. And they're all practical. And 1 Peter's all about stress in our lives. It's all about relationship issues. And I just want to bring it to your attention. You can read it this week, and you can cover it, but let me, let, me, let me say this to you, that when the Apostle Peter begins to give personal illustrations as to how our faith is to relate to God's plans and purposes, and we question it, because number one, the first illustration he uses is our submission to the government. That starts in chapter 1, verse 13. I don't have any time to go into the, any of the others. We'll stop with this one, but it then goes into employees and employers, it then goes into couples in marriage, it then goes into your neighbors and your friends, and there's just a a wealth of information here, and you're going to find the same thing throughout the book of 1 Peter, but I just want to make you aware of the first illustration. When it talks about submission to government, Apostle Paul says in verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for what? The Lord's sake, not for yours, but for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme, or to the governor, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, or for the praise of those who do good. And then he says in verse 15, if we didn't catch it, and didn't understand it, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I I didn't plan this today, it's just part of the illustrations, it's in the Bible reading, but I'll tell you what, we're living in a day and age when we've got the plans of ignorant and foolish men. But God says that we're to look at this as far as His will is concerned and do what he wants us to do. Now follow those other illustrations. Read them carefully in the daily Bible reading this week. And you will discover some very interesting principles about our plans may fail. God's plans will always what? Prevail. Let's, let's, let's do that again. Our plans may fail, but God's plans will always Prevail. So let's make sure we line up our plans with the Lord, and, um, and He will give us the desires of our hearts. And because, we, because God's plan and purpose is in His Word, that's all He expects of us to do. We pray about Him working His will out in our lives, but He wants us to make sure that we use His Word to discipline our desires. Whatever the Bible says is right is right. Whatever the Bible says is wrong is wrong. And we need to line up to that. All right, we're a couple of minutes over this morning. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that you would remind us that you are sovereignly in control of this universe in which we live. And that we are to look to you. And that we are to understand that you have plans and purposes that will always prevail over our plans. Maybe because our plans are just not out carefully enough. Maybe our plans are selfish in nature. Maybe our plans will lead us down the wrong path. Maybe our plans are just stupid. Whatever the reasons are, Father, we thank you that your plans will always override our plans. You're a loving Heavenly Father. You care about us deeply, and your plans for us certainly are often much greater than the plans that we have for our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.